This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Coming up this hour, how should diversity, equity, and inclusion show up for women of color in the workplace? We'll talk with the author of the book, Inclusion on Purpose. Plus, a peek behind the curtain of Reset on the last day of WBEZ's Spring Pledge Drive. We're going to hear how listener support helps us bring you these important lunchtime conversations. But first, as attacks on Kyiv and other parts of Ukraine continue, more civilians are losing their lives. The United Nations is reporting more than 1,500 civilians killed or injured since the Russian invasion began, though that number is likely an undercount. Meanwhile, two million refugees have fled the country. All of this as high-level diplomatic talks again broke down and failed to stop the fighting and the deepening humanitarian crisis. Joining us now to discuss the latest is lawyer John Huco. He's a Ukrainian-American from the Chicago area who helped craft Ukraine's first constitution. He's also the CEO of Rotary International. It's a service organization that's sending aid to send refugees, uh, to support refugees fleeing the country. Welcome back, John. Sasha Ann, great to be with you. So it's been about 10 days since you and I last spoke, and I want to first check in with you. What's been going through your mind this week as we see the situation in Ukraine just continue to deteriorate? Just horrific sort of what we're seeing on television, what I'm hearing from my family, from former colleagues, from friends, um, sort of daily contact with family and friends. And it's just uh, it's just it's just uh, heart wrenching. Um, I talked to my my cousins, for example, and they were, were chatting and they say, John, we got to get off the call because it's martial law. We got to turn off all the lights. We're expecting a bombing, a bombing, uh, a bombing raid and sort of end our calls very often. Well, with well, I hope we're able to speak to each other tomorrow because who knows what's going to happen. I have a very close friend, one of my closest friends, a colleague I worked with for years. Uh, he can't travel and his wife can't travel out of the cave, the capital, because of health issues. They have a 17-year-old son. They had to take him down to the train station, battle all the crowds. We're fortunate to put him on a train and uh, get him over to, to Poland. And uh, the kid you know, the son made the trip. He's now in Poland. We've gotten him to Krakow. But these stories are being, Sasha, repeated hundreds and hundreds of times in, in Ukraine. It's just an absolute, absolute tragedy what's mm. happening. Gosh, your, your cousins must be terrified. They are. And when you talk to them, it's, 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 it's you know, those that have left, you just think about it. You, you just pick up a bag, a backpack, maybe a small suitcase, a, 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 duff, a duffel bag, and you, and you leave. And you leave everything behind. And you have no idea what your future is going to be like. And as you, as you mentioned, there's now more than 2 million people in two weeks who've, who fled. And it's only going to get worse. Um, and so that's why the world really needs to continue to step up with its humanitarian aid, with help for Ukraine, and find a way to end this absolutely terrible tragedy that's unfolding. Russia's uh, invasion's been underway for about two weeks now, John. We've seen diplomatic talks fall apart. We've seen so-called humanitarian corridors for evacuees bombed. A maternity hospital was attacked yesterday. What is top of mind for you right now? Well, how do we stop this? How do we stop this conflict, right? I mean, it's, it's, that's obvious. I mean, now the Russians are to the point where they're bombing civilian targets. Uh, as you said, the maternity ward in Mariupol got got hit, uh, but it's it's happening all over. I mean, they're systematically moving and just destroying city after city after city, uh, and that's in spite of the absolutely heroic uh, heroic efforts that the that the Ukrainian army is putting up. And so the question is, what more can the what more can the West do? And in my mind, it's 
continued the this the supply of, of weapons, the stingers, the javelins, the, the 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 equipment that they that they need. I think we still need to continue to ratchet up sanctions, uh, particularly with respect to oil. I think the Biden administration made a the correct step going forward to uh, ban the import of Russian oil in the States. We now need the Europeans, in my view, to step up and do the same, although for them, it's going to be a little harder because it's going to hit their economies more. Mm-hmm. They're much more reliant on uh, Russian gas and oil. And then, the, and then the humanitarian assistance piece. And my organization, uh, Rotary, uh, we've, for example, from our Rotarians around the world, raised about 1.1 million uh, for Ukraine relief efforts just in the last week. Wow. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in daily contact. Thank God for, Sasha, and for internet and WhatsApp. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it, it, it's, it's really let us, uh, allowed us to have real time information was happening. I was on the phone today with our Rotarians in Ukraine working out ways to get them the money. They're using the money to buy medical equipment, uh, food, shelter, tourniquets. Are, uh, they need, a huge need is tourniquets to stop the bleeding for people who've been, who've been uh, shot or killed or uh, shot and wounded. Um, and so for Rotary, certainly it's a full court press now to see what we can do and how we can help, uh, help Ukraine. Absolutely. So uh, what I'm hearing you say, you are supportive then of the, the president's announcement to ban importing Russian oil? Yeah, absolutely. It will affect, obviously, gas prices at the pump. Um, but what we're witnessing here is a tragedy of, of really untold proportions over the last 50 60, uh, 50, 60 years. And so, yes, there's some pain that needs to be suffered now. But over the long term, it's, it's, it's you know, if we don't do anything, it's going to be considerably worse. But ultimately, for me, Sasha, and perhaps it's a controversial statement, we need we need in some ways for the for the Russian people and the Russian elites to stand up and show the same courage that the Ukrainians have shown in two thousand during the Orange Revolution in 2004 in the Maidan uprising after Crimea in 2014, and the heroic effort that they're showing now in beating back the Russian invasion. It's time for the Russian people, the Russian elites, to stand up, and, 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 and because ultimately that is what is going to put a stop to this incredible tragedy that's unfolding. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, the Ukrainian president. Last time we spoke, you called President Zelensky's response to this war absolutely extraordinary. Um, he continues to remain in Kiev, uh, but he's warning that uh, it's becoming harder and, and much harder for Ukraine to defend itself. What do you think? No question about it. I mean, they're facing a you know an army that's significantly larger, better equipped. Uh, they control the the airspace. Although a lot of the shelling and the and the, and the missiles that are coming uh, are really coming from uh, from from outside Ukraine. And you know, the whole issue of do we need a no fly zone or not? And there's obviously it's a, it's a it's a complicated complicated topic. But for me, the critical piece of, if, is is establishing these humanitarian corridors. Uh, that is something that we need, and to the extent that NATO engagement is required to make that happen, that is, I think, a price worth worth uh, worth paying. Because what again, this is only going to get worse. We have 400,000 people trapped in Mariupol. The Russians are on the verge of encircling the capital, Kiev. Apparently, half the population of the city has fled already. The other half is still going to be stuck and surrounded. It's it's you know one and a half million people. And it's going to be door-to-door combat, street by street, mm-hmm. absolutely horrific. And so it seems to be a priority number one right now, in addition to the weapon crime Ukraine with weapons, the sanctions, is to really establish these humanitarian corridors. And the West has got to do more. It's got to step up. And uh, because we're talking about real lives and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of real lives that are at stake. 
You know, John, it's pretty remarkable that the, the much smaller Ukrainian army has held off the Russian army in many cities, which is not going as Vladimir Putin planned. So I imagine there's this mix of pain and pride for Ukrainian Americans watching this unfold. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And I think Putin has made, and he did the same in Crimea, a huge miscalculation in terms of Ukraine. In his view, Ukraine is not a language. Ukraine is not a language. Ukraine is not a legitimate country. The Ukrainians are not a legitimate people. And you saw that clearly articulated in this essay that he wrote, this so-called historical essay in July of 2021. What he fundamentally misunderstood is that that is all false. And even the Russian-speaking Ukrainians are extremely patriotic and feel Ukrainian. If you look at Kharkiv, Sumy, Chernihiv, Mariupol, these are all Russian-speaking cities, and they're fighting to the death to keep Russia from taking them over. And so paradoxically, ironically, if you look back at the last 20 years, Putin has done more than any single individual to create the concept of a Ukrainian nation. So the more he, certainly over the last 20 years, the more he talked about Ukraine not being a country, not being legitimate people, the more he was actually creating that Ukrainian sense of patriotism, feeling of nationhood. And with this invasion, with this horrific invasion, he has, unfortunately, for the next two, three generations, ruptured Ukrainian-Russian relations. I mean, the anger you hear, and I, I watch, you, there's a very good streaming service, you can watch uh, Ukrainian TV live. The, the anger, the hatred that people are expressing when they see this devastation happening around them, including the Russian speakers, and even ethnic Russians who are in, 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 in Ukraine, is astounding. Uh, he has he has created a, a, a tragedy of unparalleled proportions, and he has ruptured Ukrainian-Russian relations for a long, long time to come. And it's completely backfired on him. He's created, through his actions over the last 20 years, a Ukrainian nation as never is united as never before. Mm -hmm. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Chicago lawyer John Huco about the war in Ukraine. He is a Ukrainian-American who helped draft Ukraine's first constitution. He's also the CEO of Rotary International, which is a service organization that tackles the world's biggest problems. Uh, John, yesterday, the U.S. House of Representatives approved $14 billion in aid for Ukraine. How effective do you think that can be? And talk to us about what else you think the U.S. government could be doing right now to help. Well, I think the, the $14 billion or $13.6 billion aid package that the House passed, now, of course, now needs to get through the Senate. I'm pretty sure President Biden will sign it when it shows up on his desk. More than half of it is for the refugees and economic aid to the frontline countries, which is absolutely needed and absolutely uh, uh, it's a fantastic sum. So I do think that uh, the recent action by the House is extraordinarily good, extraordinarily generous. The challenge will be to make sure that that aid is used is used effectively. So there's going to be the short-term need to deal with the refugees uh, once the war ends, and hopefully it will, to, to rebuild Ukraine. But I also think that this aid can be leveraged to address some of the structural issues that Ukraine was facing prior to the war. It was a fledgling democracy, strong civil society, strong press, but there's still issues of corruption, still issues of rule of law, and so I think this aid, since it is so large and it's mm -hmm. going to be so transformative, we need to use it not only to deal with rebuilding infrastructure, dealing with the human elements and human suffering, but also use it as leverage to 
to put in place in the surviving Ukraine in whatever form it survives, some of these much needed reforms on corruption and rule of law in other areas as well. So when you think about that aid, you think about several other efforts, you think about your project that you talked to us about, John, with Rotary International that raised over $1 million in three days. What do you hope this money is going to do for your cousins who are among some of these refugees and others like them? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's going to provide needed shelter, needed refuge, medical equipment, food, clothing, all the things that they need to be able to make it through this ordeal, survive, and then pick up their lives once it is uh, once it is over. And again, I was on the phone today with the Rotarian leadership in Ukraine. Uh, it was I was so proud of them. The 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 they're, they're, most of them had to flee their homes. They're 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 camped out in western Ukraine now, away from the fighting. And every single day, they're on the phone. They're working. They're getting funds. They're buying medical equipment. They're buying food. They're buying clothing. They're distributing it to the Ukrainians. They've set up now uh, uh, de- uh, warehouses in Poland, okay. Slovakia, Hungary, where they're getting uh, equipment coming in. I'm so proud of them. It's just an incredible effort. And that's just the Rotarians. There's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people helping Ukraine now, which is extraordinarily heartwarming. Any logistical challenges to ensuring that the money that your organization has raised can be funneled directly to them, to the refugees? <laughs> Well, the money we're funneling to the frontline countries, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, Moldova, not a problem. Uh, in Ukraine, they told me today they're still able to receive dollars, uh, euros. They're able to convert it into local hryvnia, local currency, and they're still able to go into, out into the marketplace and buy these uh, supplies that they need. Now, again, they're out of the war areas. They're in western Ukraine. Uh, but so far, so good. Uh, the banking system is working. They're able to receive money. They're able to convert it, and they're able to buy supplies locally. You and I in this conversation have both said this number, John, but I I need to get your reaction. Two million refugees. Two million. Right. Well, my the question I always have is I understand why NATO's you know doesn't want to engage more than it is because they don't want to provoke Russia, provoke a direct military conflict. But I do believe that at some point the pressure from public opinion will become so great that they will need to do something more. And I don't know what that number is. Is it 3 million refugees? Is it 4 million? 5 million? But at some point, the world is going to say, yes, there's a chance of provoking something or maybe even of a nuclear exchange, however remote that is. We just have to stop this carnage. How many cities need to be destroyed, I think, before NATO is going to have to say, okay, we have to do something? 100 cities? 50? 25? I I don't know what that number is, but if Putin does what he says he wants to do, I think we'll reach a point, Sasha, and where public opinion, seeing this stuff live on television, is going to say, enough's enough. We need to do more militarily NATO to stop this carnage. That would be my prediction. So in the coming days, what are you paying close attention to? Well, certainly uh, in terms of paying close attention to the number of refugees, paying close attention to the Ukrainian army's ability to continue to stop the Russian advance, paying close attention to how much of this weaponry that we're providing, the 17,000 pieces of that, that, that the West has already provided over the last few weeks. How effective is that in terms of the, Russia, the Ukrainian ability to get tanks, helicopters, et cetera, uh, et cetera? And paying also close attention to, you know, public opinion. What is the, you know, what is the groundswell of opinion uh, in the West in terms of forcing more action 
onto NATO. And then finally, and I think this is really the most important, what's happening in Russia domestically? How are the Russian people reacting? Are they stepping up? Are their elites stepping up? Are they showing the bravery and the courage that the Ukrainians have shown in terms of stopping uh, the Russian government and stopping Putin from this terrible invasion? Now, a Chicago lawyer and one of many Ukrainian-Americans keeping a close eye on the war in Ukraine. John Huco, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.